This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The interview you'll hear today was recorded on July 7th, 2023. Light diffuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, and in that official capacity, I am Drew Taylor, once again joined by the magnanimous, the irresistible, the devilishly handsome Charles Hood. How are you, Charles? Wow, what an introduction. Thank you, Drew. You're devilishly, you're angelically handsome. Oh, ooh, I love that. So we're, we're on the either side of the scale. Yeah, I love that. I can tell you who else is also devilishly handsome, and that's a little guy by the name of Charles Parnell. Yeah, he is, and we are very excited to have him on the show. It was so awesome to talk to him because he's one of the uh, rare few who worked on both Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, so we do get to dip into both here when we talk to him. That's right. He played Warlock in Top Gun Maverick, released last year, and which... Agency is he representing in Mission Impossible? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Do you know? <laughs> did, did did he? I, did we, I, we should have asked him. I guess. Yeah. Um, he is the the uh, representative for the NRO, which is the National Reconnaissance Office. Okay. Which I believe means that he is. Shea Wiggum and Greg Tarzan Davis's boss. Interesting. Yes. Yes. Okay. So so noodle on that, okay. Charles. Yeah. I will. I will noodle. That sounds great. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess are we, I mean, do we want to remind anybody of anything before we get into this interview? Well, we do want to remind people that you can actually still see Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 exclusively in theaters now. And I also want to tell people that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is available to buy on digital October 10th from whatever your favorite platform is. And on 4K Ultra HD disc, Blu-ray, and DVD on October 31st. So, you know, as as Angela Bassett once said, the IMF is Halloween and we're actually going to get a new Mission Impossible yes. movie on Halloween. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. So awesome. A very happy Halloween to us all. All right. Well, Charles, should we get into it? Uh, This is a great interview. He tells us the whole process of the community sequence in this movie and uh, lots of other fun stuff. So should we just dive in? Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Let's dive in. We'll be back afterwards.
Charles Parnell, we are so excited to have you. We wanted you when we did our little Maverick miniseries. But yeah, thank you for, for coming on. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. Well, you know, you, for two movies now, you've really made kind of, and I, and this, this I think is probably harder than it looks, sort of made exposition and kind of authority your bread and butter. And I was wondering, what is the secret to kind of being a, a good hard ass who's conveying information, but is also supportive? What's, how do you tap into that? Uh, well, I'd say the first basic thing is to embrace it. Um, because coming up in the theater, the phrase is always, you'll read something and they'll say, what's the play like? And then they'll flip through it and go exposition, exposition, exposition. Okay. And then we got to this. So I noticed people always avoiding exposition. And I, since I got those jobs, it's like, I may as well embrace it. So, uh, and even, and also in Maverick or in any other real life situation, exposition is, it means something. So I, I treat it just like any other great speech any other person would have. That's the way I try to think of it and then have fun with it. So I heard uh, Christopher McQuarrie, uh, he just had an interview with uh, with our friend Blake Howard on his show um, for One Heat Minute. And he was saying that the the exposition scene of everybody in Dead Reckoning Part 1 all the, you know, the, the intelligence community all together in that room, he said it was a lot of uh, exposition and it was hard to to get it to work and it didn't quite work until he realized that he t- he said he told you to to tell a ghost story when you were talking about the entity exactly exactly yeah um so can you can you talk about what what was the scene like before that and did you, and and how did you then shift when that note came in um well part of it kind of goes to McHugh's genius so and what I mean by that is he's the smartest guy in the room. But he never, ever behaves that way. And if you have an idea, he'll put your idea forward before his. So so that's kind of the atmosphere. So he watches for a very long time. So he didn't say anything. We were all we were doing all kinds of there was like six good actors doing this exposition. So everyone was twisting the channel, just changing the channel just a little bit on each take. But it wasn't all fitting together. So it was more like it wasn't all fitting together. And McHugh just watches and watches and watches and he doesn't say anything. He doesn't add any stress. He doesn't. And he just finally, he just leans over to me and just goes, it's a ghost story. Tell the ghost story. And so I think the genius in that is when you have actors that have all this creativity, you kind of let them vomit some things out. So then when they're kind of (laughs) done with that and don't know where to go, then you tell them something. And then everyone has, even though it wasn't, specific to each person he just said it once and everyone has their idea of a ghost story and then we're all clicking in on the same we're all aiming at the same target and then it just kind of brought things together and did you feel that as well like did it feel like suddenly the scene was working like and it wasn't before absolutely you could you could feel the difference you could feel the difference immediately because like i said everyone has a clear idea you know each like the three of us if we told a ghost story each of us would do it a little differently but we'd all be kind of on the same page in talking about something so he just kind of galvanized that's what i mean he didn't mess because like i said he's got a lot he's a bunch of good actors so he doesn't mess with things he just kind of waits for the for the little ingredient to put in the sauce and in this case it was tell the ghost story it was great he keeps it very simple well, and the way that they sh- they shoot these movies, you know, there's a lot of shooting and reshooting and, and reshooting, as I'm sure you know, being in Top Gun Maverick as well. Was it this this you know the scene of the intelligence community? Was it revisited at all, or did you do? Was it just the one time you you all put it together? Well, uh, 
So Top Gun was a little more structured, right? Because we had a full script and 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 there was a shape and there's you know there's things that have to be done and in the and the, the aerial fighting and things that are just kind of solid. Mission Impossible was made more like a, a an indie. So <laughs> therefore, uh, what I'm saying is we did the scene for a week, give or take a day, maybe six days, and. Each day was slightly different, like it would be rewritten and things would be added. I mean, they literally feel their way through the week. So that's the other thing. We didn't have like a set script that we were struggling through during the week. It was it was a combination of things. It was like the tone of it, what's being what should be said, who should say what assignments were switched during. The, so there, there's all these. Then that's what I mean about McHugh. He stays calm through all this and just kind of lets things settle where they are. We'll go through half a day and be like, we're not going to use any of that, but let's just keep going. <laughs> let's just keep going. Because uh, he knows what he wants, but he doesn't rush himself to get there. So the scene, yeah, so like I said, the scene developed in multiple ways, but it took about a week. Um, but all those things kind of came together at the same time. So even the dialogue Friday, the dialogue wasn't the dialogue until that Friday when we got it all together, which some people find, some people feel pressure in that situation um, or tightens them up. I actually like it. It's uh, it's stimulating to me because um, it feels like being on stage when it really counts because it's like, here we are Friday, we've done all this work and now we need to put this thing on. And so it gives a little tension. So I really enjoyed that. So it's so fascinating to me because so many, you know, movies, the way they're shot, all movies really have a schedule that is based on, you know, page count and how many pages are you doing that day. And if there's no script, um, I'm just wondering, did you know it was going to be a five day shoot for this scene? Did they know going in we were going to feel this out all week or were you coming in thinking this will be two days and then they just kind of kept extending it until they figured it out? Well, I'll tell you this way. Um <laughs> when I got on my first trip to London, I get there and they're shooting a train scene, a train station scene. Uh, when uh, the when the guy's coming into the room, that ends up being not the person we think it is. And uh, when I get to set, McHugh says, amongst other things, he's welcoming me and bragging about me to anyone around, and they're all wondering who the hell I am. And then he goes casually, "Oh, you're going to say the first words uh, in the film." And I said, great. Uh, what are they? He said, oh, I'll give them to you next week. <laughs> didn't even have them. He didn't even know what the words were going to be when he spoke to me when I got to London. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how we started out. Uh, and what, of course, knowing him, uh, I mean, I trust him completely. Like I, it relaxes me because it's like, okay, whatever they come with, we'll have fun with it. And, uh, and I have confidence in my ability to kind of, uh, work on the spot. So, um, but yeah, that was that was kind of it. it was so so no, I didn't know whether it was going to be a day or a week or. But once he said, "I'm just going to say the first words in the film," because it's been all action so far, I thought, "Okay, we're going to have to work this out a little bit." Because, uh, like I said, Top Gun was more structured, as you well know. Um, the kind of classic things you said about how movies made and, and page counts and timing, I think, pl- applied a little more to Top Gun than they did to this. Actually, I started calling, I started calling Tom and McHugh. Uh, Cassie Betty's in Falk after a while. That was my joke. Because they were just walking around like we were, you know, <laughs> getting gorilla shots <laughs> on the street somewhere. <laughs> but we're like in London with, with millions of dollars of, you know, equipment and, and human power. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a unique experience. And uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, let, can we talk about kind of the iteration of the intelligence community sequence? I mean, 
if you were searching kind of for tone and for uh, what was being conveyed, sort of what what did you kind of settle on? And and were you happy with how it ended up in the final film? Uh, to answer the last question, yes, I was happy. Uh, and it also uh, I guess you didn't ask this, but uh, I'll ask an additional question in, in what I envisioned when we finished working. I felt like it matched what I saw in the finished product. I guess I can't explain it any because that's the great thing about McHugh. He's so smart, but he doesn't get heady about things. So that's why that's what I was trying to communicate when I said he didn't mess. He didn't futz with anybody. He didn't like get in people's ears and try to like finesse anything up until that point. He just waited until he had a clear idea. And then he goes, "Okay, this is it. I mean, because we had we had gone a couple of days already. Before he like he just let us flounder for a day and a half or two days, and that's what I mean. People have different reactions to that. They're like, "What are we doing? And am I doing this right? Am I doing what? You know?" Um, so finally, he just settles, and then when he says "ghost story," wherever wherever you were, if you were frustrated, if you were having fun, you know the the six different actors, whatever their perspectives were. Once he said "ghost story," it galvanized everyone to at least have a, their own clear idea of what it was. And then without intellectualizing it too much, that was enough. When you have six good, capable actors, that's enough to kind of get everybody to a place where we can now have a cohesive scene. That was kind of the way it went. Were they also, I mean, because a lot of these actors really are only in that sequence. Um, were they trying to find their character amongst this kind of discovery as well? I mean, was that part of the fun of shooting that? Well, that, that's what I mean. It's different. It's different. That's that's what I'm trying to say. So different people have different levels of fun or unfun in that kind of way of working. Because some people like, like we we're just talking about the conventional way a movie goes. Some people like to have their pages. They have their words. They know, you know, they need structure. I guess is the right. And this is so unstructured that some people felt lost. I think until, and and I think even Min McHugh's genius, he even allowed that. You know, whatever levels of comfort or discomfort he sees for, you know, 28, 48 hours, he lets that brew and then he gives you something. And like I said, since it's six good actors, even if one of the good one, of the, and I'm not naming anybody in particular, but you, you can just kind of feel when people are not because everybody works a different way. So you can do people feel when people are comfortable, but whatever, wherever they were coming from. He let that kind of bubble and brew and, and and develop and marinate. And then he just put a little something in the sauce to then give you somewhere to go with all of it. Because we had all built up all of these ideas and this energy from varying angles. And then Friday or whatever day it was when he gave us that direction, then that day became very much more focused, much more directed. Everybody had an idea of what they wanted to do. And we were all at least operating from the same term, if not the exact same idea of it, you know? Well, I, ma- I imagine you are a fan of the, the franchise going into this and oh, yes. we want, okay, well, well tell us what it was like being there for Kittrich's big return to the screen. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I guess the best thing besides, of course, looking Tom in the face, but of course I, I did, and it was also not that you asked. It's interesting to see the difference between uh, Maverick and Ethan Hunt. But so I was going to say, like, Henry made me feel like I am in a mission. Like, you never really feel like like your friends and your family think, how does it feel to do this? It's like, I'm going to work. You can't, like, feel. You can't walk around going, oh, I'm doing this thing. You have to do your job. But when you see Henry and you're sitting around the table, you go, in a mission impossible. <laughs> you just really feel like it was the first time I had that kind of double 
you know, like I was on stage, I was on camera, but off camera, like looking at myself for a minute when I saw him. And when I got to interact with him, it was great. It was great. I got a little nervous because he because I watched him in one when I was so far away from uh, having an opportunity like that, you know. And when we ended up drinking wine together, me, him and Shay Wiggum, and he's super cool. And yeah, he's a friend now. But, um, but yeah, it was amazing sitting across from him. And he does that verbal thing with the words and the way he just makes that danger of like he's dancing on this line of do I trust this dude or not? And um, he's so good at that. So, yeah. That was a, that was a gas. So there was a moment where he turned on Kittrich and he, he the vowels became stretched out and the <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly okay yeah yeah they just they, they become like happy in his mouth you know yes <laughs> you have to make a choice you know, it's, it's great. He, he doesn't and it's one of those things you know they always say like can you imagine I can't imagine anybody else in his particular roles he's so. Good for that. And I didn't realize he'd been gone for so long from the from the franchise. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. We'll be back with more from Charles Parnell after the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, can you talk about Carrie Elways, too? Because he was someone who was not supposed to be in that scene, who came in kind of uh, last minute and absolutely owns that that whole sequence. So talk to me about what it was like working with him. Oh, first of all, he's like the sweetest man on Earth. He's just like like sometimes you can only use certain words for people. He is a really sweet person. So that's kind of the first thing I think of. And he was so good at being it was like this quality of being totally in charge, but then we're befuddling him with this, you know, cause we're explaining <laughs> the way they operate and, and his befuddlement and disbelief is just so good. It was so fun to play off that. Um, yeah, it was so fun to play off that. And that was another element of trying to get the scene together was Carrie as well. I, I actually forgot about him in the whole mix of us trying to tell the ghost story because we're telling him the ghost story. Right. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was great. He was great. Um, but like I said, he was a great combination of being in charge, being a little, a little arch and, and mostly befuddled that in charge and befuddlement <laughs> at what we were uh, describing to him was really entertaining. It was fun to, fun to play with. Did you guys understand what you were saying exactly? Because there, there, you, there is a lot of exposition and 
coded kind of phrasing. And and McHugh's writing is always so great about kind of making these mysterious objects sound super alluring. So I was wondering, in the moment, while you're shooting it, do you totally understand what everybody's after and why they're after it and, and all of that? I would say for the most part, because first of all, like going back to the, the exposition scene, those four or five days, you can ask anything you want. Oh, okay. The floor is open. And and the, once again, the genius of McHugh is when he doesn't know something, he openly lets us. It's like, I have no idea <laughs> what's going to happen. To, you know what I mean? Like where we're going next. But he's, as he's saying that, of course, he's figuring it out. And then by the end of the day, he has something, but he's so seemingly egoless with the with the process that it uh yeah just makes it makes you comfortable makes you feel like everything's gonna be okay no matter what uh i um what question was i answering i got lost because when i think about the cue <laughs> no if you understand i guess so you so if you had a question about oh, what you were saying understanding yeah yeah. Saying. yeah for the yeah for the most part so yeah when you don't and, and once again differing levels of of comfort with that so okay. some of the other actors needed very specific explanations of certain things and nomenclature. And sometimes I could, and me and I'm not just me, but, uh, but another kind of actor can kind of assign a thing. Even if you don't know what it is, you know what it's like. So you play that as far as like worrying about knowing exactly what you're saying, knowing the gist of what you're saying and the relationship between the, you know what I mean? If you're talking about two things, you don't know what they are, but you know that they're, um, antagonistic towards each other, then you kind of know what you're saying. Right. You know what I mean? It was more like that. It's like, as long as you had a surface rudimentary understanding of what you were saying, the, the, the individual term, the entity and things like that. Um, which we, now we discussed that a lot. We discussed it a lot. Um, I find it easy to get through, uh, those complicated passages as long as I know the gist of what I'm talking about. And then I don't need to know so intellectually everything and some other actors need to know, feel like they know intellectually what they're talking about. So that's where the, the difference. You mentioned before that uh, you acted opposite Tom Cruise, obviously as Maverick and Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt. Yes. Did you feel a difference in those, in those performances when you're, when you're acting opposite Tom for those two different characters? Yes. Honestly, more than I expected. Yeah. He almost physically, feels different literally really because um because maverick uh it's all because like maverick is such an external being and ethan is more i mean you know he does lots of physical things in life that have been death-defying things but he, he almost he feels internal to me sometimes you know more of an internal person more of like like an in like an interior person whereas uh like i said where maverick is pete is like out, out, everything's out, 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 out with him. And some things with Ethan are more internal and he, he holds secrets and he, you know. And so that, that was a big difference. And uh, Ethan's more like a knife physically in the way he speaks and the, and the gestures. And, and, and Maverick is more like a, a hammer or a blunt, more of a blunt object, <laughs> you know. And he kind of, and he, and he embodies it. It's cool. Like, I don't, like, I didn't have one I've done Maverick thought, you know, anything like that in shooting Dead Reckoning Part One. Like nothing. I'm looking at Tom and I have been that stare at Tom a lot. Like both both movies, I look at him a lot and we're making a lot of eye contact. Completely different person. Completely different person. Wow. Which was which made things easier for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was yeah, it was great. While you were shooting Top Gun, did you have any 
consciousness that you were making one of the most popular movies of all time? Any any idea? None. None. <laughs> Once again, I'm just trying to like get through each day. Because, well, first of all, my first day, I get to San Diego on a Thursday. I go to the gym in the evening. I'm on the treadmill. I'm thinking I'm being a good boy. Don't shoot till Monday. I'm going to be all ready. I'm at three workouts in. While I'm on the treadmill, the phone rings. Uh, second AD says, Charles, uh, just to let you know, your call, your, uh, call time is going to be 5.30 a.m. I'm like, cool, on Monday? Great, I'll see you then. She says, no, tomorrow. Oh, okay. So I'm off the treadmill. Got to look at my uh, huge expedition speech in front of the flag that I'm now doing the very next morning. So I wake up the next morning. You know, I get up there and I'm ready to do my speech and I'm doing my thing. And then uh, I had missed the table read. So I hadn't met Tom yet. And I'm standing in front of a the side of a the uh, flag that looks like a side of a hotel, American flag, like eight stories high. And then all of a sudden, I see activity in the corner on my like third take, and they say, "So Tom's here. He's going to get dressed, and he wants to enter when you introduce him." Because the the scene was just me introducing him, and then we cut. And so we had done that three times. So I go up and I do it another time, and then we don't cut. And then the guy, the pilots in the audience are like are ready to relax and then they their eyes start darting and they hear his footsteps and then everybody tenses up and he goes right into the next scene where he does these rapid fire questions to them and so i'm standing on the side me john ham and uh bashir saluddin and then he's he drops the character looks dead at me reaches his hand out and says hey charles i'm tom welcome to set <laughs> So Maverick just, so I told Maverick do his thing. He dropped that and he came right over to me. So that was my very first day. So that, so all the sensations I was dealing with was like, I didn't have time. That's what I mean. I didn't have the time to think, oh, I'm in Top Gun. Oh, I'm in this. It's like, I got a job to do. I got to get this shit right and done. And, you know, um, it's my first day with Tom and I'm doing all the talking. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, so back to your first question that, that saved me because, uh, also, the, the real credit I would give to like the way, however well or whatever you think I do a scene like that is my theater background and doing Shakespeare and things like that, because Shakespeare is has a lot of exposition. They're beautiful, you know, iambic pentameter verse lines, but they're still exposition. So you you get a lot of experience in not undervaluing that kind of thing. So anyway, so, yeah, so I got I got through that day. OK, but I thought. That Friday wasn't until Monday. So that that was my experience. I was kind of just trying to keep up with everything. And uh, and like I said, still the atmosphere, even on set with Tom on uh, Maverick, is he's he's a little more amped. And he talked to everybody like yards and yards away. You know, Philip, <laughs> the guy way back in the corner, he knows everybody's name. I'm sure <laughs> it's been repeated uh, many times. But uh, like I said, even, even his off- camera energy on Maverick was different. It was more, I don't want to use the wrong word. It was more, it's more, more, uh, more, more coach, like more like running out of the, the football team, running out of the tunnel, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Whereas, like I said, Mission Impossible is much more like sliding through the side door, not having anybody see you like that kind of energy. So, yeah. So uh, I didn't have any overall awareness that I was in this movie until I saw it. When we saw it uh, right before the pandemic started, um, Tom arranged a screening at, at Paramount in like March of 2020. And just the cast saw it. We were the only people in there. And when that thing was done, we looked at each other like, 
they are gonna love this shit. <laughs> and then the and when people and when people ask me about how the difficulty of waiting, you know, get that question a lot. I was like, my answer is always the only difficulty I had in waiting was like, I can't wait to see how people respond to this. That you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh man, you know, it wasn't uh, any kind of anger or frustration. It was just like, I can't wait until people see this because they are gonna love it. And so that turned out to be kind of true. <laughs> I guess you knew, you knew. Uh, yeah, once we saw it, when we saw it, we knew we had a good thing. We knew we had a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. This whole thing's amazing. Uh, Tom and McHugh, I can't, I can't come up with words to describe how much I, uh, how grateful I am to uh, know those guys and to have the relationship I have with them. Like they're, I feel like they're friends, you know, and they treat me as such. So, and we're the biggest movies in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they make them like they're independent and they make one like it's an independent pretty fun time pretty good times i think we're running out of time but charles do you want to jump in uh so yeah so you you know compared to maverick i feel you're in a smaller part in dead reckoning just wondering what did you think when you saw the whole thing put together well i loved it first of all and also because the parts are so separate everything that i saw that wasn't in our environment was thrilling to me and brand new. And I was just as stressed as everyone else. Yeah. So, I mean, I had like a full uh, movie going experience. Uh, I thought our scene was good. Um, and I got, like I said, I got, I got the ghost story. I thought it was clear what we were saying. Um, even, and, and it's funny, like they, and Tom said this at the beginning of Maverick, he said, um, I want this film to be great. And he said, the only way that this film can be great is that if each and every one of you are great in it. So I'm going to make it my business to give each one of you, I can't remember the exact term, but a moment where you pop or a moment where you shine or, you know, that's the way he thinks to make a great movie is to make each individual part great, each individual person great. So, so to answer the question, I felt that way about my small part in Mission Impossible. I felt like it was maximized and I got, you know, full FaceTime and, you know, all the, all the value you could get out of, uh, out of my job in that position. So I was really happy. I was happy with how I'm treated. I'm happy with how the film came out. Uh, we ask people this question a lot and it's very stupid. So please bear with us, but <laughs> have you, have you been listening to my answers? <laughs> <laughs> Your answers are amazing. Uh, do you have a preference when it comes to Tom Cruise's hair in the Mission Impossible movies? Are you more of a short hair guy? You kind of get the best of both worlds because it's a little bit longer in eight, it seems. Yeah. Are you like, where do you kind of land on that? Wow, that's a good one. Wow. <laughs> it's not. It's not a good one. <laughs> no, I, I can go uh, uh, very nerdy and, and spend way too much time on something like this. But uh, go for it. We I love like, it. These days, I like the long. Every time I see the long kind of, uh, yeah, curly kind of coming, like bordering his face a little bit, I kind of like that. I kind of okay. like that these days. So you're more of a ghost protocol. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. A lot of people love the long hair. We're, we like the short hair. I think we think he looks great in uh, part one. It's just. Yeah. You can't beat it. I mean, he looks great in any scenario, but. Yeah. But, and that's what that's what I was saying. He like he even looks different from Maverick. You know, it's, they're right behind each other. But the, a Maverick photo and, a, and an Ethan Hunt photo from yeah from seven, like look completely different. To me. Yeah. Well, you know, look very different. Same person, obviously. Yeah. They have very different qualities in them. So I love it. I love 
Charles Parnell, your call sign was Warlock, and let me tell you, you have bewitched us today. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so much for coming on. Please come back for eight. I would love to. Awesome. Tough to follow Charles Parnell, a man who is so charming and who has such a great speaking voice and told us so many great stories. But here we are. We're back. How you doing, Charles? How do you feel after that? I feel wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting to hear about. I mean, he's really only in that one scene in Dead Reckoning Part 1, but it's it's a really fun scene. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot that happens. A lot goes down in that scene. A lot of exposition, a lot of fun a uh, fun like a, it's a fun way they did the exhibition making it kind of like a ghost story and then all the f- hilarious dialogue about the IMF and then uh, and then to hear him talk about Top Gun Maverick is uh, a lot of fun too just to, that that was my favorite part is to hear him talk about the difference between Tom Cruise's performance as Maverick and his performance as Ethan that was fascinating to me yeah 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 and hopefully we'll have him back for more later on i hope so right yeah let's hope we uh We'll see. If he's in uh, part two, then we'll have him back. He can tell us a brand new ghost story, and we'll just <laughs> be loving every second of it. Yes. Should we tell people who we've got next week? Yeah, absolutely. Officially, we can say that we've got Simon Pegg coming back next week. This is a chat from a while ago, but it's a great continuation of... It was right after we saw Dead Reckoning Part 1 in uh, Rome. We talked to him, and so it's a really great uh, conversation about the movie and... Just anytime we get to talk to Simon Pegg, it's just the greatest thing. So very excited to share that with you all and uh, plenty more coming in the weeks ahead. Great. Well, uh, Charles, can I just sort of remind people of some things? I mean, is that you have any objections? That would be great. No, I would love it if you would. Thank you. Okay. well, first of all, you know, you can catch brand new episodes of Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast every Tuesday available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm assuming it'll be the same place you're listening to this now, but you could go wild and switch it up or do whatever. Wherever you're listening, though, Charles, I want to make sure people like, subscribe, rate, and review the show. You know, if this is on Apple Podcasts, if it's on Spotify, wherever. And, you know, we want you to follow us on social media at Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever you want to call it, and Facebook. You can also follow the official mission accounts at Mission Film on Twitter and Mission Impossible on Instagram. And I think that's pretty much it. We'll be back next week with Simon Pegg. It's a really fun episode, and we hope you guys come back. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy.